0: Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse.
1: Great savings every day.
0: And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Fantastic!
2: Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley to run the rule over the past week in the World Game. First edition news with all the latest on the Socceroos and Matildas with Willem van Dender and shortly and of course our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson will be joining us throughout the show. Now as always there's a heap to get through on the domestic and international scenes from the finals of the A-League men's competition to Sam Kerr doing what Sam Kerr does in another FA Cup final and of course the crescendo of the major European competitions. We'll do our best to get across it all for you in this week's edition of the show but first up in our very first episode back in 2015 one of the topics was the perennial discussion around how long it would take before we got a proper second division competition and the answer is now in sight as the football australia expression of interest document has been responded to and made clear the intention is to create a new national of football between the A-League men's competition and the National Premier Leagues with the opportunity for promotion and relegation to be considered once mature. The national second Tier is anticipated to begin in March 2024 and will ultimately involve between 10 and 16 teams. We'll discuss all of this and what the next phase of the process looks like with our good mate from The Guardian, ESPN and lots of other great publications, Joey Lynch. Then, as titles are decided and promotion and relegation battles continue, there is no better story than the one of Sunderland. Long before Hollywood looked at Wrexham, Sunderland Till I Die became a must-watch viewing for football fans as it tracked the inside story of the Black Cats' first season in the Championship after a decade in the top flight and their ultimate relegation to the third-tier, League One. For a club of Sunderland's rich history, it was inevitable that they'd fight back, but it's all happening very quickly. And while a return to the Premier League is far from a given after ending Luton Town's 14-game winning streak at the Stadium of Light on the weekend, the trip to Kenilworth Road is not looking as daunting as it once did. We'll discuss what has been a thriller minute late season charge with the Athletics' Philip Buckingham. And, of course, we'll wrap it up with World Cup Corner. Edge, I don't know how we're going to jam it all in this week, mate.
0: Uh, Hi, Rob, and greetings to all the listeners of Box to Box uh, wherever you are around Australia or other places of the world. How are we going to fit it all in? There's, There's so much to talk to. But my talking point off the top, Rob, as the momentum continues to sort of build and bubble ahead of uh, July's FIFA Women's World Cup 2023. I mean, all fans of the women's game would have been, uh, their eyes would have cast across to the old dart, and Sam Kerr's lone goal was enough to get Chelsea over the line. But what it stood out for me was a world record 77,390 people at Wembley, a beautiful sunny London day, and Sam Kerr got the job done, did a flip Willem, how good was that? That
3: no, was fantastic, and she addressed it post-game as well. Let's take a little listen.
4: occasion just needed a backflip, didn't
1: it? And I had been asked for it by a few friends, so it was the day. Fans are amazing, aren't they? They come out every week and support us, and um, we always have great support here at Wembley, so
4: it's nice to get them the win and bring another trophy to Chelsea.
3: So the end result is that is their third straight women's FA Cup, all under Emma Hayes and fifth all told. Uh, it's all come in, in such a rush for Sam, the trophies, the plaudits, so it's maybe worth just taking a moment uh, to record cap. So she's won the FA Cup in, or Chelsea with Sam have won the FA Cup in 21, 22, 23. The league in 2020, 21, 22 and 23 is in the balance. The league cup in 2020 and 21 uh, and the community shield in 2020 as well, Edge?
0: Yeah, unbelievable performance by Chelsea, but uh, I couldn't have done it without Samantha Kerr and her unbelievable scoring rate. Uh, Rob, she's doing us proud. All she needs to do now is to put the cherry on top, is uh, put up in a sensational performance at the Women's World Cup later this year and she'll go down as one of Australia's greatest sporting icons of all time.
2: Well, we got a little bit worried when she got that knock a couple of weeks ago, but, um, you know, it's all starting to come together, isn't it? It's uh, only a couple of months away before that World Cup starts. We talked to Liam Toomey from The Athletic uh, who, you know, watches really closely. And and one of the things that he pointed out uh, um, that uh, Sammy's doing this season – uh, that she well she's always been a provider but uh, mainly a goal scorer and and while she was the goal scorer and won uh, the um, well at least provided the goal that won chelsea that FA Cup over the weekend uh, it's it's her ability to be a, a team player all-round team player and just find that that um, that football perfection that um, that we know exists within a which which is not just to score, but to be the provider, to be the motivator. So, um, yeah, look, we, we're, we're all getting a little bit excited about this and uh, it feels like something special is going to happen uh, when the World Cup comes around.
3: Domestically, the Central Coast Mariners will take a one-goal lead into the home leg of their semi-final against Adelaide after their 2-1 win on Saturday. That's a third straight win for Nick Montgomery's side over the Reds, who opened the scoring, but were overhauled in front of a sellout, Hindmarsh. Melbourne City and Sydney FC head into their second leg square after a 1-1 draw at Alliance on Friday. Rob, the pitch, uh, a real talking point, as was VAR, uh, which correctly intervened to have Sydney retake a penalty, which they ultimately converted. Yeah, look, it's the
2: perennial issue, isn't it? As much as the stadium looks magnificent um, the uh, the pitch uh, that uh, that goes through uh, uh, so much uh, uh, under the uh, the boots of the, the rugby league and the rugby union players is, is always going to be a problem and uh, I think you know leading into that week World Cup that we, we were talking about just uh, a few minutes ago that uh, uh, that they're going to need a bit of that period of time leading up to, to curate and manage these pitches um, so that they're uh, in that pristine condition that we need.
3: And Ed, your thoughts on the two-league final. System, the second year that we've had it back in since it was reheated uh, by the APL. Rado Vitasic, not a fan, but I think uh, with there's no away goals in play, but still 90 minutes of drama in both games, uh, penalties uh, and the rest, and all of that within the context of the return legs. I quite like it, to be honest.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, look, I think the jury will give its uh, decision after next weekend's games, will it? We're only at the <laughs> halftime moment of these. Uh, these uh, double league or, or home and away league uh, fixtures in the semifinals, which does advantage uh, the team that's not only had the rest, but will have the home game in the second match, which is the teams that finished higher because if it goes to extra time and penalties, it will be on their home deck, obviously. So we'll, we'll wait to see that. But my A-League moment of the week was, when, was definitely when Jacob Farrell Uh, was put onto the ground to mark Nestori Iroquinda in that game. How good was that, Willem? That was just one of the moments that stood out to me. Um, And we got a little bit of a window into what uh, uh, the Socceroos might look like way down the track, but uh, Iroquinda and Farrell there, they're developing
3: a nice little rivalry, these two young players. I thought it was great uh, coaching by Central Coast to do that. Yeah, it was as close as you could come to the old school tag edge. Um, I think James McGarry, pretty stiff, scored the goal of his life and was you know he's got a, a pretty good motor on 54 minutes, no sign of fatigue. He would have been super dirty. Uh, but no, Robbie Thompson has pointed out a couple of times that, yeah, that is the future of the soccer is right there if all goes to plan. Uh, 20-year-old Farrell and, and 17-year-old Aaron Kunda uh, all before them. Uh, Let's jump abroad. Sunderland they are going to take a slight advantage into their championship playoff semi-second leg against Luton Town. Uh, As you mentioned off the top, Rob, they came from behind to win 2-1 at the Stadium of Light. In the other playoff, Coventry City failed to make the most of their home leg in their tie with Middlesbrough. Uh, It ended nil all with Riley McGree heavily involved in the build-up for the Borough. That second leg is Thursday morning. And down the grades, Rob, you've been meaning to make special mention of Notts County, who are back into the 92. Yeah, especially our, um, our old mate, uh, Dean Hennessy, who uh, it's been a while
2: since um, we've had Dino on the show as a, as a special guest, so uh, we'd uh, we better get him on soon to talk about uh, about his, uh, his former club because we always did for many years uh, introduce him as our former Knott's County man, and Dino's still out there, so uh, uh, maybe we'll get him on to, to have a yarn about uh, about the club that um, made him part, semi-famous.
3: Famous in our eyes, Rob. Football Australia has announced the progression of 26 clubs to the request for proposal phase as it builds towards a national second division. The RFP will be conducted privately from now until July and involve distribution of bid documents, financial forecasting and more. We'll have Joey Lynch on shortly to pick through uh, the more granular detail in that. The basic facts, Edge, are that we are moving into the second of three stages. Uh, Given we didn't really whittle down too far, it's probably worth mentioning those that didn't uh, advance, Playford City, Spearwood, Dull Mat- Matinac, which means there's no WA uh, representative to this point, Peninsula Power, Blacktown City FC, Valentine FC and the Bentley Greens.
0: Yes, interesting to
3: see who was left out and uh, I'd love to
0: know the reasons why. So we'll ask Jerry Lynch about that shortly as we get stuck into what is the National Second Division going to look like uh, as we go through this process of uh, selection.
3: Socceroos are Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. The Socceroos have been drawn in Group B alongside India, Syria and Uzbekistan for January's Asian Cup in Qatar. Saudi Arabia and Japan have been drawn on the same side of the bracket, meaning Australia would have to beat both to make the final, assuming all top seeds uh, progress from their group's. First game is against India on January thirteen, and all three clashes are at relatively friendly times for those on the Australian <laughs> Eastern Seaboard. Nine thirty PM uh, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time. It'll be at that point of the year. Bit of history edge, uh, similar to the twenty eleven uh, Asian Cup. We opened up against India there. Uh, last played Uzbekistan at the twenty nineteen edition, and last played Syria in Sydney in twenty seventeen. Omar El Soma still. Uh, Hard to forget, really. Hit the uh, hit the bar. Had that have gone in, world looks uh, pretty different for the for the Socceroos.
0: Absolutely, and
3: uh, I, look, it's. A, I
0: heard Graham Arnold say that he was happy with that draw, um, very happy with that draw. But you know, I know Asian football reasonably well, and uh, I know some of these teams like to lift. Well, they, they do lift when they play Australia. They don't like us, and Syria is one of those. They will come out. Uh, they will, they will be not an easy, uh, easy team to play in the Asian Cup, and Uzbekistan has a very strong history in the Asian Cup, and they uh, their football's been improving. They recently won the under twenty Asian Cup, uh, which they hosted actually, uh, Uzbekistan. So they're um, they're not to be uh, shirked at at all, and um, we would expect to get through the group, um, obviously, um, off the back of our World Cup performance. But you know, um, I look at that group and I. You know, I see uh, half glass empty as well as half glass glass full, that's for sure.
3: And the Oliroo squad's been named for the Maurice Raveo tournament in France. Rob, Tony Vidmar's the gaffer there. We're going to play at least four matches from June the 6th until the 18th. More on that in the coming weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to that. It's great to see, as uh, we've discussed over the years of
2: of this show, that... That um, that uh, that next tier and, and younger level of young Socceroos, young Matildas, um, continuing to do well. They don't always progress, but uh, but whether they uh, whether they make it or not, they're always uh, competitive, and, uh, and it's great to see that next tier down and a, and a legend, a Socceroos legend like Tony Vidmar at the helm. Okay, all right, we'll stick around. Um, we are looking forward to a, a bumper rest of the show. We've got Joey Lynch coming up after the break. We're going to talk finally the uh, national second division the second tier, the B League, whatever you would like to call it, is uh, is not too far away. The discussion has been going on for years and uh, and the official uh, process is well and truly in play. We're going to talk about it at length, Michael and Willem at least are, with our good mate uh, Joey Lynch, so stick around. That is next on Box to Box. Hey Willem, it's only two weeks till winter. Yes, and it's time to uh, jump in and grab some bargains, I would have thought. Well, there's always time to get some bargains, but it's still time to come in and get your flu injections. That's what it's there for. Uh-huh. So you go in and get your bargains and your flu injection at the same time. So we were reading off literally the same page and I almost thought I was going to get the sack from doing these light reads during the show after your brilliant efforts last week, mate. Uh, so as we've been saying, you've been saying, I've been saying, Ed, just sitting there, be get to jump in and say as well, don't let the flu ruin your plans this year. It's only two weeks till winter. So get in now and help protect yourself with flu immunisation available at Chemist Warehouse each Flu is all across the world, Bangkok, Australia, you name it.
0: Yes, um, and now that the world's travelling again, uh, the flu has got a hold in uh, certain pockets of the world, so make sure you get in a Chemist Warehouse, do what I've done, Uh, just make a booking online, or even just go and have a talk to them. They're very helpful.
2: Exactly, that's uh, right.
0: Get your injection and get on with life
2: correct. The quadrivalent vaccine helps protect against four strains of influenza. However, it can take several weeks to take full effect. Book your appointment now because it takes a community to build immunity. It's quick, convenient and affordable. Plus, you don't need to bring in a script. The prescription and administration are provided in store by a qualified health professional. This year, the quadrivalent strain is available at Chemist Warehouse for just $19.99. So as Edge said, build immunity and book your flu immunization today at chemistwarehouse.com.au slash flu.
0: Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing
1: the mood of food.
3: For some time, progress on a national second division moved at glacial pace, but another step was taken this past week with Football Australia announcing 26 of 32 clubs have been shortlisted for its request for proposal phase. Joey Lynch has had his microscope on this process. You can find his copy at ESPN and The Guardian, among other places. Uh, and as a great friend of the show, live on location at the uh, at the Veneto Club, Joey, it's always nice to welcome you back to the uh, show to help us make a uh, little bit of sense of it all.
1: Ah, very nice to be joining you, fellas, once again, as indeed out here. Well, NPL's not quite the grassroots, but out here uh, at the non-A-Leagues clubs looking forward to some NPLW action tonight, which will have been completed by the time this episode
3: is released. Key facts of the past week that we've gone from 32 to 26 and that kickoff is still proposed for March 2024. Before we sort of look a little bit deeper below that to the the phases and and some of the clubs and some of the conglomerate clubs involved, are you feeling broadly like there's a greater sense of legitimacy around the process and the project?
1: I think there is is a sense of legitimacy around the process and I think, in fact, that has been by design we've seen this step-by-step process you know just you described it as glacial and a lot of that depending upon how cynical you are that can either be seen as football Australia crossing their T's and dotting their I's or maybe just covering their keisters in case something goes wrong so they can point to the process but it does feel like this is a very deliberate process and these bids now I've had to put in place an EOI. they'll now move through the next phase where they'll be invited to submit more complete bids which will be appraised not just by football australia but by an independent um analyst organization so there is an, an intention for this to be uh, legitimate so that when the announcement's finally made as to the inaugural teams I'm, there will inevitably be complaints and anger and rancor but maybe uh, less legitimate anger and rancor is what Football Australia is hoping for.
3: And use the term deliberate in there I personally can't help but notice that they continue to keep the door open on a Champions League model instead of the traditional home and away format that certainly the, the AAFC uh, have championed very strongly from the off It was there again at the foot of the announcement email that did the rounds this week um, Do you think there's any merit to perhaps retaining the state-based model uh, to an extent before moving to a national final series?
1: I I think the merits of the Champions League, there are merits of the Champions League model in the sense that it's more affordable, it is cheaper, but I don't think anybody that is hoping that that would that will happen. I don't think anybody would be a fan of a Champions League model. We do, in effect, already have somewhat of a Champions League model in the form of, well, it got discontinued, but the NPL National Final Series that um, brought all the champions from the various uh, member federations together for a tournament, and no one really cared. So, you know, trying to ramp up that model a bit and calling it a national second tier, in my personal view, it's sort of setting it up for failure because I don't i don't think the clubs want it. I don't think the punters want it. And to be honest, I'd much rather see the national second tier delayed from March 2024 if it meant we'd be guaranteed a home and away format rather than just getting something out the door for March 2024 and then ending up being a Champions League model.
0: Well, let's talk about the elephant in the room. And that is, for me anyway, Joey, can the clubs afford to participate in a national second division. That is the big one for me. We know you and I um, know this, uh, this level of football very, very well. Um, th- there's not a lot of money in it, despite uh, what it looks like on NPL TV. Um, nice and uh, shiny. It's, uh, we know that uh, stadiums are old. Um, they are not suited to uh, welcome large crowds Uh, Clubs are volunteer-run organisations. Yes, there are some significant businessmen um, involved in some of them that have some deep pockets. But collectively, do the clubs have enough money to actually do this?
1: Well, at this point, the only people that can definitively answer that question are the clubs themselves, and I guess one of the reasons that this process is being so in depth is so that Football Australia will have at least a good answer to that question as well before they invite them into the process, as well as this uh, maybe one of the reasons why they are bringing in an independent arbiter, so they can get this independent person that maybe uh, doesn't have uh, rose-tinted lenses like traditional football people might have of the national second tier, a romantic view of it. And we'll look at it more as, well, accountancy nerds and saying, well, actually, no, you can't afford this. I mean, the club's... I've repeatedly said that they can. We have never had a situation in the past wherein these clubs have, well, not since the death of the NSL for a lot of them and the birth of the A-Leagues, we've never had a situation wherein these clubs have been offered a national stage to take to market when they are seeking money and investment and potential government support. So we don't know how that will play out. We also just don't know how many teams actually need to have The requisite amount of funds estimated to between anywhere from between two to five million, depending on the model. You don't need 32 or now 26 teams to have that money. You just need enough to start a competition. So I guess that's going to be, well, it's the several million dollar question that we'll find out in the coming months.
0: Certainly is. And what about the APL, the A-League clubs? Um, they've been cons- conspicuously quiet about this. Um, the jungle drums uh, that beat tell me they're not entirely happy that this is this is happening. Um, obviously, those of us who are fans of reconnecting the pyramid, not only do we want to see a national second division, we want to see a, a timeline for a promotion and relegation. We know we miss the A-League in particular. misses the jeopardy of... Those um, matches at the end of the season, when the focus is on who's going to be in the bottom, uh, the bottom of the table and missing out on a league competition the next year, that doesn't exist at the moment. So, uh, Joey, put your, uh, uh, you know, your mindset into the crystal ball. Is there a chance that if we do get a national second division, we might, in some time in our lifetime, get promotion or relegation?
1: I mean, a lifetime can be a very long time. It might be longer for some of us rather than others. I mean, I've had a lot of health problems in my life, so it might be shorter for me, but I think it absolutely can happen within our lifetimes. I mean, you're looking at the situation right now, wherein the A-Leagues are struggling to connect and meet with fans if they continue to struggle to you know, monetize their products in the future. Maybe the barrier gets shortened, the, sorry, the gap gets shortened on that front and they come to Football Australia's looking to interconnect the pyramids. I don't think that will happen. But I think to answer those questions, it's a bit putting the cart before the horse, really. The first thing that you have to do before you can even start thinking about connecting uh, the, a national second tier and the A-League via promotion or relegation is to establish a national second tier. We need to find out if a national second tier is viable, if it will work, if it will move towards closing that gap between the A-Leagues and the National Premier Leagues. Because right now, that gap is too much for any team to, you know, just jump from the NPLs to the A-Leagues. It would be impossible. It would be malpractice to even attempt it. So that is the first step. I think it can happen on a long enough time frame when it, uh, the NST, the national secondary, has a chance to bet down. But that's a long way in the future. Right now, I'd be more concerned with just getting the NST up and running in a manner that everyone's going to be excited about and ready to follow along and see if it's viable or not.
0: Uh, absolutely, Joey. And you're uh, just take, paint the picture for our non-Victorian listeners. We've got a national audience, Joey. You're at you're at Bulleen, uh, which is a, yeah. the Veneto Club, which is a fantastic football facility in the east of Melbourne. Just tell us yeah. uh, what you're you doing. You've got NPL TV calling duties tonight for Bulleen and Preston, I believe.
1: Yes, so National Premier League's women competition, FC Bulleen Lions playing Preston Lions. It's going to be a big one. The the window has opened. So we've got a host of A-League women's players coming down and playing their first game of the NPL season. Our former Matilda Emma Checker has signed for Preston. So she will be making her debut for uh, Preston Macedonia. And for the hosts, Bulleen, we've got Maya Markovsky making her debut for Bulleen. Paige Zoyce is back. Alani Anchevsky is back, or at least they've all been named on the team sheet. So it's looking like hopefully it's going to be a really entertaining game at one of the better facilities here in Melbourne for our non-Victorian listeners. The Veneto Club here, David Burrow Stadium, it's a... uh, big pitch, artificial surface, so it's always in good use. Rarity in Victoria, very common in New South Wales. There's uh, some great training pitches that I'm just in front of and there's a big social club and um, facility right next to me and the famous gondola out front as well. I think if you if you go on YouTube, there's a segment that Greg Blake did on SBS TV back in the NSL days where he jumped in the gondola um, pool or something like that. So it's one of these great Italian background clubs here. One of the best facilities in Eastern Melbourne, if not the entire city.
3: Joe, just- Just a closer from me, two intriguing conglomerate bids through to the next stage. There's Brisbane United, fronted by Rabia Kram, who's fronted more than his fair share of new entities, uh, and they are inclusive of the Brisbane Strikers. There's also a football South Australia package deal, which, uh, I mean, there's three clubs there as well, uh, perhaps not as famous as the Strikers, but no less, you know, um, individual and, you know, proud of their own history in their own way. To me, it looks like the Strikers would be just on face value, probably diluting their their status and their history as part of essentially what would be a new franchise with a new, you you know, new logo, new strip, new badge. Am I reading this correctly, incorrectly? Well, you've
1: got to bear in mind that the Brisbane Strikers, yes, they're an existing side, NSL side, but at one point the Brisbane Strikers were an expansion franchise created to join the NSL um, back in the day. One of those sort of proto Uh, A-Leagues clubs that the NSL had at the very end there alongside the likes of Carlton, another side that I consider sort of like a proto-NSL side. So they've probably looked at this. I think the way that this bid works is that if this Brisbane United bid does get up, to enter the national second tier, its various sides in, in it would be able to maintain an NPL presence as well. I think that's their intention at the very least. So that is one sort of maybe a workaround for some of their problems and an avenue for junior Um, development, perhaps, and pathways to just, you know, why have one junior pathway when you can have three or four? Um, I also know that they did recently sign a a, um, partnership with Borussia Dortmund um, as well about providing junior pathways. I'm not sure what that meant for, I think, Marconi, signed a deal with Borussia Dortmund back in twenty eighteen. That might that one might be for the scrap heat now, but now they've gone up and joined Brisbane United and to be honest, you, you did miss um one conglomerate bid there as well, Willem, which I'm still is still in the race and I'm very intrigued about. It's this um, bid out of New South Wales, the Sutherland Sharks when still alongside oh, yes. the Cronulla Sharkies. Oh. As well, the NRL side, they are still in the running. So now that we're entering the point where we're expecting more detail to come out and that will inevitably leak out, I'm very intrigued to see what that bid looks like.
3: Well, Joey, with Edge on the line and given his history in the game, I'm just really glad you didn't use the term Trojan horse. So thank you very much once again for your time. Call well, and I'm sure we'll have you back on before too long. Awesome. Thanks for having me, boys. Joey Lynch there. As always, you can find his copy at The Guardian, ESPN and in a bunch of other places. Go and have a read. Stick around. On the other side of this, the Black Cats uh, could be two games from promotion back to the Premier League. I'm going to welcome Philip Buckingham to the show. Hey Will, and when I was listening to you talk about the uh, the spices
2: in the, the Hoyt's Autumn Spice Mix, it, uh, it did motivate me to, to cook some uh, uh, biscuits at home, and mate, they came up a treat. I actually did do what we've been talking about with this Autumn Spice Mix.
3: Oh, I'm not surprised, Rob. I mean, it's really sort of a connect the dots sort of thing. Hoyt's make it that easy for you. Even the worst baker couldn't go wrong. Are you suggesting
2: I might be the worst baker? I don't know that uh, I'm getting a little bit too sensitive on the other end of the line here, but uh, it did oh, get well, up. You couldn't be worse than
3: me, Rob. As I said, I was the, uh, the latte sort of
2: operator. Yeah, no, you did say that. So, look, it is the cooler weather, and, uh, and as I say, even though we're, we're not far away from winter, you can make a Hoyt's spice mix for exquisite flavouring for your cookies, your biscuits, and even to sprinkle it across your latte. It's a Chinese fighter style, spice-style mix. It's a warm, rich blend of Hoyt's for... Four of their favourites, peppercorn mix, the four colour peppercorn mix, ginger and cloves and the secret ingredient is edge, the Hoyt's vanilla sugar. Just, you, you drool when you even think about it, don't you?
0: Absolutely, you could put a, probably put a bit of cinnamon in there as well and it would go very beautifully.
2: So you know your flavours, it's perfect in pies, cakes, cookies, muffins, even sprinkled as I said on latte. So enjoy and delight in the flavours of autumn. Refill your empty spice jars with Hoyt's value packs. You'll be happy with Hoyt's at Coles, Woolworths and all good independent supermarkets.
0: Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of
1: food. And this could be the most crucial
2: goal. Yes, this is Box to Box. Now we've always loved the English Championship on this show and what a story this Sunderland charge is shaping As Across two seasons they dealt with the ignominy of the double drop from the Premier League to League One. Much of it charted in the iconic Sunderland till I die. Their return to the Championship this season was consistent if unspectacular till a three game losing streak seemed to have knocked them out of contention as Burnley and Sheffield United broke away. But then a nine game unbeaten streak and a thrilling final day of the league saw them snatch the final playoff spot from Blackburn and Mill and the once impossible Dream is now alive after a two one home win against Luton Town at the Stadium of Light on the weekend. As we welcome our guest from the Athletic, Philip Buckingham. Philip, are the Wearside faithful living in dreamland?
4: I think they are very much so. This this is this is a promotion charge by accident almost. <clears throat> um, having climbed out of League One last year, I can assure you there was nobody expected this club to be challenging for promotion. Um, consolidation was the was the primary aim. But as the season's gone on, I think maybe halfway through the season, people start to think, do you know what? There isn't a team in this division that has outplayed us yet. We've lost to plenty of them, but there's this this division holds no fears, no no worries. And slowly but surely, they've built up this momentum and it's a young team and they've built confidence. And Tony Mowbray's just done a terrific job moulding them and cajoling them to come this far. It's been... Uh, it's been a, a a terrific season. No matter what happens at at, at Luton on Tuesday night, um, it, supporters will be in in unanimous in, in in this in the belief that this has been um, a terrific campaign.
2: Yeah, it, it has been, and just watching on on the weekend, the you know the 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 stadium of light atmosphere was was alive, and I, I actually listened to a couple of local podcasts to prepare. And uh, the first one I stumbled across was um, the True Believers, I think it was called, and and they just recorded it at a pub, and you could tell they were drunk. It was hilarious, and uh, they they were just absolutely loving it. But uh, we had Jonathan Wilson, famous uh, Black Cat himself, on a couple of weeks mm. ago from the Guardian, and uh, and. And as you and I were chatting, setting this up, um, I, I, I um, indicated that he'd suggested that he was sort of hoping that it didn't actually happen this season because, you know, there's young, raw players uh, that, that uh, he felt that they would just get beaten up and chewed out um, in in the top flight. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that, Phil?
4: Yeah, there is that nagging doubt. I, I, I'm, I'm a Sunderland fan as well. My dad's still got his season ticket. Um, I get up there as, as much as I possibly can. And there is this nagging doubt among most supporters that – this is too soon for this club to go up um they have got this model where they want to sign young and promising footballers and develop them and and they'll they will openly accept as well that the time will come when they'll sell some of these on to keep the keep the build going um and there's so many I think seven of the starting 11 on Saturday was 22 or under um You've got you've got players that have barely played in the championship this season. Um I've got the team sheet in front of me from the weekend. People like Luke O'Neill never played in the championship, Anthony Patterson, Dan Neil, young lads from the Academy never played in the championship before this season. So to throw them into the Premier League would be an almighty challenge. But I don't I don't think a club can ever knock back the 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 invite and, and the riches that come with it because it it just transforms you. You you could almost go up, take the hit and come back with, with your with your revenues transformed because you get your parachute payments after that. Um, or you can go down the Nottingham Forest route where you throw 120, 140 million at it and transform your squad. I don't think that would be Sunderland's approach. I really don't. So it'd be an enormous challenge, but I'm, I'm determined not to get too carried away after the weekend. It's it's going to be difficult down at Luton, a congested pitch. Luton were a team that finished 11 points ahead of Sunderland. So that that, that suggests they're a better team. I don't think they've got... Better individuals. I think Sunderland have got the, the greater talent in their 11. But I think as a team, Luton are very functional. They've been here before, they know their jobs. And I think it's going to be a, a, a stiff ass going down there.
5: Rob, Rob mentioned off the, the top about the Sunderland Till I Die documentary series, which is really how a lot of us have sort of stayed in touch with Sunderland, I suppose, after they disappeared out of the from your league um, purview. Um, We obviously saw a lot of chaos in that series, uh, particularly at the top of the club with the ownership, some kind of crazy decisions being made and some not particularly best practice of uh, how to manage a football club playing out on the screen there. But can you tell us about how the club's being run now? It's obviously under a different owner to that that series, a Frenchman, Um, and yeah, how that's kind of helped with the overall reorganisation and direction of the club.
4: So, so the last 18 months have been very, very different to how it went before and, and, and what you saw on the, on the TV screens um, on, on, on Netflix. So Carol Louis-Dreyfus came in uh, just before Christmas 2021 20, and... His father, Robert, owned Marseille for eleven, twelve years. Um so he's been sort of steeped in, in football. He he you know, he I've heard stories of him running around the Marseille training ground. He's a big Marseille fan. And he and he, he saw the opportunity to buy into Sunderland. Um and he and he likened Sunderland to Marseille, uh, quite a working class city, passionate supporters, and and he's 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 seen potential for for this club to grow and get back to where it was in the Premier League and He's been quite clever with it. Um, Christian Speakman, who has played a big role in in Jude Bellingham's development at at Birmingham City when they were together, he came in as almost like a sporting director and they've unashamedly put the focus on youth. I think of the outfield players they've signed, I think it's like the last 11 or 12 have all been 23 or under. Um, They've they've, they've mined sort of uh, Premier League academies like Pierre Equa, had never played for West Ham before they signed him in January. Never played a senior game of football, but they saw potential in him, and now he 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 ran the show on Saturday. I thought he was brilliant, and and they've, they've not been afraid to, to tap into the low market of Premier League clubs as well. Obviously, Ahmad Diallo's had a, a an outstanding season. I I think he'll have a role to play with with Manchester United next year. I really do. Uh, Joe Gelhard from Leeds not done as well, but again, it's that shows you the the road they're going down and. As I say, they've got this. This it's a model, and it's, it's incredibly different to the deadline day you saw play out on that Netflix da- drama, where they they're, they're desperately trying to get a deal done for Will Grigg and throwing whatever money possible he wanted at him. It, he, I watched that back through slatted fingers almost. It's, it's it's dismal to watch how the desperation. I think I think the the intentions of that ownership group, well, certainly Stuart Donald. I think he he wanted to do the best for the club. If he could and there was almost like that desperation to get them over the line in that first season and it played out in a in a bit of a car crash, really, and Will Grigg was a, a, a dreadful error sort of financially. And they've just not gone down that road. I think I think we signed Dan Ballard for two million last summer and that, that's been the the, the biggest transfer of, of this Louis Dreyfus era. Yeah,
5: and one thing that they've got right too The manager as well, I think, in that documentary series we saw was at the tail end of David Moyes, but then certainly Chris Coleman struggling uh, at the club. Uh, but obviously, Tony Mowbray's come in. And the preconception around Tony Mowbray, I mean, he's obviously a local guy to the area, seen, I think, as a bit of an old school football man. Um, but what the results are showing us is that far from being a kind of tight at the back and you know, hit him on the counter kind of style. He's actually quite a progressive manager. Can you talk us through what Tony Mowbray brings to the team?
4: Yeah, well, I wrote today, it was almost a happy accident that he's arrived at the club. Alex Neil um, came into the club in February last year, very different style, a lot more physical, robust in his approach. He, he did a wonderful job for someone dragging them out of League One, as he did. But it was only six games into the season that he decided that, um he, he saw an opportunity to join Stoke City and off he went. And that, that I always that that threatened to sort of plunge Sunderland back into a bit of uncertainty. And and there was Tony Mowbray. Mm-hmm. I don't think many fans were bowled over by the prospect of being managed by Tony Mowbray. He was seen as almost like this safe pair of hands, but the the work he's done with young players in his career, it's it's turned out to be this perfect fit. Um and he, he, he calls them his sons almost, and, he, and he's like almost like a father figure to them. And, and you're right; he is very different to the the modern manager. He's he's, he's quite he, he puts an arm around the players, and he, he sort it's, it's this sort of like quiet encouragement that he gives them. And it's and you can see what you know. Players like if, if you if you look at the this, 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 they've got this attacking trio have been brilliant all year: Patrick Roberts, Jack Clark, and Ahmad Diallo. If you look at their career moves. They've all had moves of more, north of ten million quid. You know, um, Jack Clark to Tottenham, Patrick Roberts to Manchester City, and, and obviously Ahmed Diallo joining Manchester United. So they're, they're all supremely gifted footballers, or, or have the potential to be. And he's he's extracted the best out of all three of them. And watching Diallo and Roberts play together, I've been a Sunderland fan for thirty-five years, and I, I've I've not seen a Sunderland team play this type of football. They've had. They've had good teams. They've had excellent teams. You know, you think back to the Peter Reed era. That was very direct, effective, and even even Roy Keane when when he came in and, and sort of galloped up the championship table and, and won that championship title. So was it thirteen, fourteen years ago? They they were all action. They were. It was a very different type of football. But. You see them the, the the way they can play in tight congested areas, the the give and goes, the nutmegs. It's they're they're, they're a joy to watch. A very different to and um, real clash of styles in this in this playoff. But um, you know, I, I have to say as well that what what Tony Mowbray has, has, has had to deal with in terms of injuries. You know, for for those unfamiliar with Sunderland, Ross Stewart is undoubtedly their star striker. Missed all but a dozen games of the season. Uh, Captain Corey Evans has been out for since Christmas. Um, Dan Ballard Danny Bat, they played with a back three on Saturday that was a, a full back in Trey Hume had never played championship football before this season Luke O'Neill who's by and large been a midfielder most of his career and Lyndon Gooch who's a winger that was the back three on Saturday and there, there was Luton with their sort of land of the giants approach and um, Sunderland just kept the ball on the ground and I, I, w- I was concerned for the first 20-30 minutes I thought Luton were just all wrong for Sunderland but this this Sunderland team finds a way and just kept the ball on the ground, played nice football and, and eventually got the rewards
5: in terms of the makeup of this uh, playoff, there's I think there's something refreshing about it, isn't there because you know it's not the sort of typical yo-yo teams you're kind of Norwiches and West Brom and the like like there's genuinely a narrative behind every team there um Coventry obviously been out the league. Premier League for for a long time, and Luton obviously never been in the Premier League. Um, Michael Carrick obviously is doing some great stuff at Borough. Did overall, do you think it's been a a good Championship season, culminating in this very open playoff that doesn't seem to have a have a real favourite? And and again, good to see that it's it's not just the same old guard trying to get back into the Premier League.
4: You're absolutely right. I, I thought with a third of the season to play. You had sort of Norwich, West Brom, and Watford all sort of in and around that top six, and I thought eventually they'd find a way to get there, just because they had the, in theory, the 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 deepest squads and and the more talented players. Um, but you're right. I think Luton obviously got there last year, so this isn't their their first dance up up at the top end. Um, but what what what's happened with with Michael Carrick at Middlesbrough really refreshing. Uh, he he's worked wonders there, given given the, the team he inherited. And and you're right with Coventry as well; they they showed themselves last year to be a very competent Championship team. They uh, fell short of the top six, but in in Mark Robbins, if Mark Robbins is not too dissimilar from Tony Mowbray in the way he likes to play, and again probably viewed as as more of an old school manager. But um, the 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 adversity they've had to overcome in the first half of the season with. Um, not being able to play the home games because of the pitch and the, the, the ground they had to make up and to get into the top six, they've, they've done wonderfully well. I suspect Middlesbrough will, will edge that one after after the, the first leg ended all square. I, I suspect Middlesbrough will get through and who knows, Middlesbrough East Sunderland in a, in a North East final would be, would be some occasion.
2: Yeah, absolutely, it would be, and you, I think you know uh, uh, that part of our motivation for for wanting to talk about Sunderland is obviously the the Australian connection with Bailey Wright as uh, an important um, player in, in the squad as as the rise um, continues. But you make that point about the, the rise of football in the nor- um, the northeast of England, uh, uh, obviously uh, Newcastle United under the uh, the new regime um, looking set fair to play Champions League football next year. And uh, and as I was doing a little bit of homework preparing for you, I, I mean, we always know that the time we derby is is one of the great derbies of football, but um, that play, I didn't realise how, just how close it was, 156 occasions they've played, 53 wins apiece and 50 draws. I mean, you don't get any closer to that. Surely the return of that derby uh, is uh, is wetting the appetite of, uh, of football fans, We're side.
4: It it, it it certainly would, but there's there's something about derbies that leaves a a knot in your stomach. That you mm. life's sometimes easier without them. Mm. <laughs> as, as silly as that sounds, um, and but but Sunderland have got a terrific record, recent record against Newcastle, e, even with all the um the the perennial struggles they had in the Premier League bottom end, they always seem to find a performance in the time where derby. Um, you know, you think of Paolo Di Canio and his knee slides at St James's Park. Um, you know, Jermaine Defoe with that wonderful goal, that volley from distance, and for a while they had Newcastle's number. Um, I think it'd be a very different challenge facing Newcastle now. Um, Eddie Howe's transformed them into a into an excellent Premier League team. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not entirely sure I'd relish that game in <laughs> in, in some ways, but yeah, they, they, they are incredible occasions and white hot atmospheres. It's uh, it's something else to be there.
2: Yeah, exciting! The very prospect of it happening again is is tremendous, and that story of Sunderland just uh, continues to to, to 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 thrill everybody who's uh, a non partisan fan. As surely it is for for the uh, the diehards. Phil, thanks again for joining us, mate. You um, a wealth of knowledge, and we're, we're really grateful for, you, for your time. Um, hopefully, uh, we might even get the chance to chat to you again if the um, if the, the fairy tale continues.
4: Absolutely, more than happy to.
2: Philip Philip Buckingham from The Athletic talking about Sunderland. Another match to go before they even make the playoff, but uh, the playoff final, that is, of course, at Wembley, but uh, hey, it seems like uh, uh, one straight out of of Grimm's fairy tales um, that uh, that might just be coming true. Okay, stick around. After the break, World Cup Corner on Box to Box.
4: Box
0: to Box. Can you believe For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food.
1: And this could be the most crucial goal of all.
2: Yeah, this is Box to Box. This is World Cup corner. Well, we'll call it Sam Kerr corner after her efforts over the weekend. But uh, the countdown is on, Willem. Um, What have you got for us this week, mate?
3: Yeah, Derek, I owe you an apology. I've been leaving you high and dry uh, throughout this segment, all I've done over the last sort of month is assign you homework. So none of that this week, but there is one out of the weird and wacky file. Uh, Nike have run a, a World Cup promo by sticking a giant wrecking ball through a bus, assuring us nobody was hurt in the stunt except boring, defensive, ugly soccer. What'd you make of it?
5: Yeah, thanks, Will. I'm glad not to, to not to get into Gianni Infantino question for a change. So this is a this is a lot more fun. Um, yeah, I, I work in the creative and. Marketing industry, so I do get these uh, stories come across my desk from time to time. And yes, Nike's uh, legendary marketers have come up with something to really kickstart uh, the Women's World Cup and the thinking around that uh, heading into the next few months. And they've literally uh, got a bus and parked it in front of a goal, and then literally got a a wrecking ball that looks like a football and they've put a big screen next to it so it, and then they play videos of various us players doing a kick so it looks like they're kicking the wrecking ball and then the wrecking ball then comes flying across into the bus and they've literally destroyed a bus with a football wrecking ball and eventually about the eighth or ninth swing it goes into the goal and i mean you can't say fairer than that it's um it's great marketing and uh it kind of reminiscent of Boris Johnson driving through a wall when he was busting through the Brexit wall, getting Brexit done in a, uh, in a, uh, in some kind of, um, J, uh, some kind of truck. So, yes, uh, the weird and the wacky as always. I don't know if it's going to inspire too many new, new fans, but a whole new take on parking the bus. And I'm sure Jose Mourinho would be there very it is. proud of this.
3: I was thinking if it's not Gianni, there's got to be a link with your stories to uh, Jose. And he was one I thought of when I thought of parking the bus. Uh, Edge, a sponsorship bonanza, as always, uh, around a FIFA World Cup and with this Women's World Cup, as in step with just about everything else in the women's game, uh, it, is, it is growing its, uh, its socks off to coin a new froze.
0: Yeah, well, speaking of Gianni, he, he was. we obviously know he's not entirely happy about um, the broadcast process at the moment, especially out of Europe in particular, Germany, and France. He's uh, fingered their broadcast partners uh, for having no, no money. So we'll see what happens out of that. However, on the commercial side, it is an absolute bonanza for the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023. And Unilever's joined uh, an existing array of sponsors. So the, the brands Rexona, Dove, uh, Lifeboy, and Lux are, are joining Visa, Zero, Adidas, Coca-Cola, uh, Wanda out of China, Budweiser, and Globant. So um, I think it's pretty amazing that um, uh, the women's game is starting now to open the rivers of commercial money with Unilever. Uh, It's a huge global business uh, coming on board. So FIFA, uh, they might have a few issues in their valuation of of female uh, broadcasting uh, in some key markets in Europe, but they don't have any problems with sponsors with them.
3: Well, certainly not visit Saudi, Rob.
2: Yeah, absolutely not, thank God. But um, one uh, point that that I wanted to make, and we we might need to get Jason Pine or someone from... um the land of the long white cloud on, because as hard as it is to get your hands on a ticket for uh, a Matildas match in Australia, they've been sold out for ages. You jump onto the the FIFA ticket site and you can still buy a ticket to any one of the, the New Zealand um, group matches, which suggests to me, and you look at uh, at the availability, that there's very few games um that have a low availability um, uh, over there in New Zealand. So uh, um, I'm just interested that um, we're, obviously we're expecting big things from the Matildas and, and have high hopes. Is the expectation um, the low expectation of the uh, of the football ferns um, uh, reflecting in the in the uh, the enthusiasm of the ticket sales? I mean, you can even buy tickets for for all of the USA games. Uh, funnily enough, there's no way in the world if uh, the USA was playing in Australia, you'd be able to um, buy a ticket for USA Portugal at Eden Park. Uh, if if that was in uh, um, in this country, that's for sure.
3: Yeah, it probably is a question for for Piney or for someone over that side mm-hmm. uh, of the Tasman. But as you've had your thoughts on what uh, the US are going to do for for New Zealand, um, having all their group games and I think their first two knockout finals, if they're to progress that far on uh, in in New Zealand as opposed uh, as opposed to Australia.
0: Yeah, they cross over the the final stage if they um, get that far, which. Um, yeah, I think there are a pretty good chances of doing that with them. So we'll get to see them in Australia. But yeah, it was one of the great anomalies of the draw that the USA were um, drawn in New Zealand and the randomness of the balls um, out of that uh, draw draw ceremony. So yeah, the Australian tourism people weren't too happy about that. I can tell you.
2: Yeah, but what do you think about that edge? I mean, does that surprise you that um, that you know these blockbuster matches, as far as the World Cup's concerned, that that um, that that you know, pretty much eight weeks out from the tournament that you could just jump on the site and buy as many as you like right
0: now. Oh, it's a smaller market in New Zealand. And also the uh, uh, the ecosystem of women's football is much less developed in New Zealand as, than it is in Australia. So yeah, I, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised with that at all. Um, obviously there's some smaller venues too. I think Hamilton's got a game and those oh. types of things. So they're uh, it's a it's a different sort of vibe and uh, focus over in New Zealand for this event, and you hit the nail on the head. Uh, the ferns are having a bit of a horror horror time getting any sort of result at the moment, so um, there's not a lot of uh, optimism around what's going on. I just had a conversation a couple of days with, ago with some New Zealanders who are involved in the event, and they did say that uh, mm-hmm. that, um, that that, that they, they they were coming from behind a little bit on ticket sales, so.
3: Yeah, yeah Alex, surprised. Is, Alex Morgan's pretty confident, Rob, that they'll put on a fair show in New Zealand for those who do attend. Uh, she's chasing her third Women's World Cup, third on the trot, uh, and fifth all up for the USA. She said this is the best team that they've had in her time uh, and that all those little things are in place that are going to help them replicate 2015 and 2019. Uh, she's also given uh, some praise to England, not only the team, but the FA as a whole, and said the increased focus on the women's program and the National League, uh, which certainly wasn't there five years ago even, uh, has them as... She believes they're my contenders.
2: Mm, okay, interesting. Well, it'll be uh, fascinating to watch as the countdown continues. All right, well done. Edge, uh, you enjoy uh, another humid, uh, sunny day uh, over there in Bangkok, mate?
0: Yes, you can probably see the sun beating in uh, my window, Rob, here. I uh, know on, on that our podcast listeners can't see that, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll be heading off to a, have a swim shortly.
2: Oh, well, you're painting the picture like our, our our great mutual mate from 3AW, Shane Healy would have said. Um, but I'm oh, going to Shane tune. <laughs> let me plant the picture. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to hearing you and Willem and Derek uh, talk to Gary Boyer a little later in the week in stoppage time. That that's uh, that's going to be fascinating uh, listening. So um, Willem, tell us uh, just a, just a little snapshot of that story for those unfamiliar.
3: Well, we celebrated last week Gary's win uh, with Dundee FC over Queen's Park 5-3 in the Scottish second tier. By the time we teed him up for an interview, we would got the Tijuana Brass. Absolutely. By, by letter,
2: I think, Edge, you sent us a little voice note uh, um, of what had happened, and no sooner did that voice note dr- drop in our WhatsApp chat than, uh, than the article was published um, in, uh, in the papers. Uh, it just sounds absurd, uh, the way uh, that yeah. it happened, like a clown car show.
0: Absolutely, and uh, for listeners of Voxa make sure you tune in to stoppage time, where we've got Gary Bowyer uh, on to talk to him about how you can win the championship, get your club promoted, win the champ, the the, the manager of the championship, the manager of the year, uh, all of that. You know, they posted on the club's website, and one hour later, he gets a handwritten note saying, "Don't come Monday." I mean, <laughs> that is got to be uh, one of the most outrageous seconds of all time.
2: Derek, do you know of a more outrageous one?
5: Yeah, I think Louis van Gaal was told that he's been given his marching orders by Manchester United after the winning the FA Cup. Um, mm, so okay. that, that would be the equivalent. And I think um, Carlo Ancelotti was told a day after that he secured a double for Chelsea that he was also no longer required by the club.
2: Look who's so, having the last laugh between Carlo and, uh, and Chelsea right now.
5: Oh, absolutely! But it uh, means that Gary is joining very, very uh, illustrious company by joining that group.
2: Excellent. Well, I'll listen to, look forward to listening to you and uh, and Willem and Edge uh, talk to to Gary um, a little later in the week. Derek, thanks, Matt. No worries, Jens. And Damien Tardio for making sure everything comes together as he always does. And to you for listening to us, thanks to everybody who's been listening to our uh, our uh, requests for reviews. Uh, if you jump on uh, to whatever podcast streamer you use uh, and leave us a review, it always helps push us up the, the rankings and uh, and spread the word of Box to Box. Make sure you subscribe to the show, Stoppage Time and Offside, which will be coming out soon as we keep on, promise you, podcast, tweet us at Box to Box NTS and follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. And make sure you join us throughout the the week as our podcast drop, and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.